back whenever I was at LSU, about once a year, there was a group from kind of like the Westboro Baptist Church, but not them. There there was this group of people that would come to the, I guess you'd call it, we didn't really have a quad, but we did have a quad, but kind of like an area near the quad, what we call Free Speech Alley. They would carry these signs, and they would have these, these megaphones, and they would yell at all of us and tell us that we're all going to hell. What was interesting about them kind of, you know, screaming at us and, and them, like, you know, just condemning us all to the eternal fires of damnation, including Catholics, too. They didn't like the Catholics very much. They drew a crowd. There was a few people that would kind of stand around them. Now, granted, the crowd wasn't a happy crowd. They weren't like, oh, yay, we're going to hell, too. Woo! Like... They weren't like they weren't thrilled at any of this, but they drew a crowd of basically haters, you know, just people that that really that would would want to argue with them and kind of justify themselves. And I don't blame them. Had I had more time, I probably would have done the same thing. Probably would have really liked to have a conversation with one of them. But what I found was interesting about that that way, if you will, of evangelization. I guess if you call that evangelization, is that it wasn't really that effective. The crowd they drew was very small, and the fruit, the fruit they produced was generally resentment and anger. It didn't really lead to a whole lot of, of, of goodness. But what's interesting is every time I read this gospel passage, I always think about that group. Because in a certain sense, John the Baptist kind of looks like one of those guys. He's kind of a little bit of a crazy person, yelling at people, telling them they're all going to hell. There's kind of like a little bit of, I don't know, like kind of Westboro Baptist Church in John the Baptist. It's kind of fascinating. But what's different about his, there's a few things that are are markedly different. One, the group at LSU was just that. It was a group. A group of very, I guess you'd call them the unique individuals. John was just one unique individual. Which is not as amazing and not as fascinating as a group. It's just one guy. Nothing really that, that I mean, we, there's lots of unique, solitary fellows out there. But the fact that, that they could all come together in a group and have a message, that's a little bit, I would think, a little bit more interesting. The other thing that's different about the group is that the group came to us. The group was not condemning all LSU students over there at Southeastern. They were not, they weren't, or, or over here at, at UL as much as, as much as, you know, that might have been appreciated. There was, there, that was not the case. They went right back to the source, and they went right back in the sense of the place and the people where they were condemning, and they went and proceeded to do it. They met them where they were at. John, not so much. John left the city. John was gone from the proverbial LSU. He wasn't at Jerusalem. He wasn't at Tyre. He wasn't at Antioch. He was in the desert. One of the cool things about I went and visited the Holy Land several years ago, and we actually went to the place where Jesus was baptized, and it's true. It's in the middle of nowhere. Even to this day, with, urban, with modern urbanization and technology that could allow people to settle in, the, in, in pretty much anywhere, nobody is anywhere near the place of Jesus' baptism. It's kind of a fascinating thing. So it's true. He really was in the desert. But the difference that I would argue is that opposed to a modest crowd that the crowd drew, that the group of people at LSU drew, 
John the Baptist drew an incredibly large number of people. In fact, it said at that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him. That's kind of odd, don't you think? This is one solitary crazy person. And everybody was going to see him. The question that I think a lot of us ask is why? Why is it that these people were so interested in this this kind of eccentric man? The answer is simple. They thought John the Baptist was Elijah. They really thought that he was Elijah. Now the question then becomes, why does that make a difference? Who cares if he is Elijah? And here's why. Ever since the Jewish basically people began, they were writing books and they had inspired scriptures from Genesis all the way to Maccabees. And within the genre of that scripture is called the prophetic literatures. We're talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and a number of minor prophets that are prophets who, who wrote very little short little segments. And what's interesting about that is the very last minor prophet to write was the prophet Malachi. And the Jewish canons, this is the last book in the Jewish scriptures. And it was written in the year 450 B.C. Which means that for 400 years after the prophet Malachi spoke, God was silent. And these are the last lines of that book. Remember the law of my servant Moses. The statues and ordinances I commanded him at Oreb for all Israel. For behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. In so many words, the Jewish people were awaiting the prophet Elijah because whenever the prophet Elijah came, that would mean that the day of the Lord was at hand. That is exactly what they were waiting for, the prophet Elijah to be raised up. And I think there's a lot of similarities between John the Baptist and the prophet Elijah. First thing, first similarity, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist appears. Look at what it is. John, look. Our fourth word, John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea. Whenever I went to go do a little study on Elijah, literally there was no introduction for him. It was Elijah the Tishbite went and told Ahab that there would be a drought coming. That was it. No nativity scene, no prophecy, no explanation on where this guy actually came from. And so within the scriptures, we see kind of a similarity there. These are two mysterious men that seem to come out of nowhere. The other thing that's interesting is both of these men wear hair shirts and leather belts. So it's not a coincidence that they're bringing that up. It's not a coincidence that they're telling him that, that, that they say John the Baptist wore camel hair and girdled himself with leather. Because the second book of Kings says the same thing. What kind of man is he who came to meet you and told these things? They answered him. He wore a garment of hair cloth. With a belt of leather around his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He was known for wearing a hair shirt 
and leather around his loins. So there's already a correlation there based off of wardrobe. Finally, the third basic big thing they have in common is both of them preached repentance. Elijah preached repentance to the kingdom of Israel for turning to Baal and worshiping him. And John the Baptist is preaching repentance to the Pharisees for kind of hardening their hearts and allowing their hearts to become stone and rejecting the Lord from the heart. But the other interesting thing is this goes far beyond just happy coincidences. This is not simply just a matter of appearances and hair shirts and repentance, but there's also a prophecy to indicate that John the Baptist is indeed Elijah. Let's take a look at the prophet at the prophecy spoken by the angel whenever she, he appeared to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. This is what the angel told Zechariah. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, you might be wondering, okay, this is this is good. I mean, you know, an angel said this, Pelosius said this, but if you don't believe either of us, why don't we try Jesus? Let's see what Jesus says. Matthew 17, verse 11. And he replied, wait, sorry, my bad. Verse 10. And the disciples asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? You guys know where the scribes say that, because it's in Malachi. Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Then he replied, Elijah does come, and he is to restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Boom. John the Baptist is Elijah. Now that begs the question, why did I just tell you guys that? I'm telling you guys that for this reason. John the Baptist, we can tend to categorize as a crazy person. As somebody who doesn't really have much effect on us because he's just kind of a little bit off his rocker. The reality is that's not true. John the Baptist isn't a crazy person. He's a scriptural person, which means that his preaching is not a bunch of incoherent ramblings of a vagrant, but but rather the messages from a prophet, which means that God is speaking through John the Baptist. And his message is simple. Jesus the Lord is coming. You can either repent and receive the Holy Spirit, or you can remain obstinate and receive the fires of hell. One or the other. So my dear friends, on this Advent season, I want to challenge you in the spirit of John the Baptist, who's not a crazy person but a prophet of God, to join me in repentance. Repentance so that you and I can avoid the fires of hell, and receive the Holy Spirit now and for the rest of eternity. Amen.